The reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 to 4 and 8 to 12, found on page 449 of the Old Testament section in the Church Bible. All the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattithia, Shema, Anya, Uriah, Hilkiah, Marsiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbanana, Badana, Zachariah, and Meshulam on his left. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that the Lord that were declared to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Very good evening all. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the gift of your holy word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon us, 
with his peace and even in your mercy with his power. We pray that the written word might become living and active in our lives this day and always. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I take it as a compliment of 32 years of marriage that my wife Ali can predict what I'm going to choose when we have a, an evening meal out on the menu. Uh, maybe one day I'm going to throw caution to the wind and surprise her and everyone else and the bank balance and say, all the caviar, lobster, 100-year-old brandy, not sure how we're going to pay, but there we go. I don't think I would have chosen Nehemiah 8 for a reading from Holy Scripture on Bible Sunday, but even as you heard it read amidst the fireworks and the bananas, you can sense something of the transforming nature of the scripture as Ezra, the scribe, reads it. So we're going to look at Nehemiah 8. Probably in our mind's eye and in our spirits and in our thinking, have this question. How can the Bible, in all its glory and richness, bear fruit in my life and in the lives of people with those with whom I have to do? Probably the backdrop is the very familiar parable of the sower. Words can easily get snatched away. Uh, you can get enthusiastic and then run out of steam. Or you can face knocks in life and you just give up. Or actually something can really happen. Characters can be changed. Relationships healed and mended. Uh, fellowships and churches come alive. Communities get transformed. The kingdom of heaven can, according to the prayer of Jesus, somehow take root on earth. So I have three things to reflect on because Nehemiah chapter 8 certainly is abuzz and alive with the fireworks of God's word. You can see some of the transforming nature of all that's happening. So three things at least, and I'm sure there are many more, that are unlocked in this passage of scripture, that if we get right, pretty much guaranteed, will embed and cause fruitfulness for God's word to happen in our lives. And even, if you, even as I'm speaking, are you thinking about yourself, uh, your family, those you're going to be praying with, those you're serving? How can fruitfulness come? Fruitfulness that will last. The first is partnership for the sake of humility. This is the book of Nehemiah, but we've just had a whole chapter with Ezra in the limelight and in pole position. The context, of course, is Nehemiah, that famous phrase in Nehemiah 1, the cupbearer to the king, leading God's people to do something for themselves, for the sake of the other, in their community, as they come out of exile. And there's lots of battles, there's lots of blood, sweat and tears when we come to this amazing part in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8, where Ezra comes on the scene. What a great partnership in the kingdom of God, Nehemiah and Ezra is. Wonderful partnerships. Mary and Martha, Paul and Silas, Priscilla and Aquila, 
I'm sure you can think of others, to grow in God's word in a way that it affects your life, you'll need a soul spiritual friend, someone to be in partnership with. Who is that for you? Nehemiah needed Ezra. Ezra needed Nehemiah. They both needed each other. They were in partnership for the sake of humility. Always difficult to say things to yourself, particularly if you are in the limelight, but beware of ever seeking the limelight or putting other people into the limelight. It's a pedestal and a platform that ultimately will come crumbling down because no one's meant to be there. The light of God's word is to draw people to Jesus Christ. And so Jesus formed a church, a community of people. Kingdom work needs kingdom people to work in partnership with each other. The book's about Nehemiah, but Nehemiah needed Ezra. People up front need people who are not up front. Trust me. (laughs) Thank you for your support. Do go on praying and recognize that God's word is actually the end result of all genuine Christian partnerships. Who are your partners in God's work? You're not meant to be a solitary saint. You're meant to be together with other people, with appropriate levels of vulnerability and trust that fruitfulness can happen. What did Jesus say? This kind can only come out by prayer and fasting of others. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of you. There needs to be a humility that it is not just about you. It's about what God wants to do in you and for there to be that necessary soil of humility, you'll need to be uh, with others. Secondly, the sense of conviction for discovery. Here's probably the most famous part of Nehemiah chapter 8. Ezra gets called on the scene to unlock the scroll and to read from the scroll because as you've heard read and you can see in Nehemiah 8, he's the scribe. There is of course plenty of debate about exactly what was read. My particular assessment is it's probably the whole book of the law, all five books of the Pentateuch. Some say it's just the holy bits. Some say it's just the first bit. Some say it's just the last. He was going on for some time. But notice what happened. There was a conviction of the Spirit that came. How does Ephesians chapter 6 describe the Word of God? It's the sword of the Spirit. These are not mere words. They're words which with an openness of heart... And the Holy Spirit, seeing that Jesus Christ is going to be glorified, brings conviction. Probably because they were in exile, probably because they were all over the place, and then there was a leader who gathered them, mobilized them. It's not too difficult to work out why some things had let slip, why some things had fallen astray, why some things were amiss, 
And the word of God was read and explained. The conviction comes. We've been found out. There's weeping. There's grieving. I found it helpful to point out there's a massive difference when the word of God comes to someone and there is conviction. It's a spotlight. It's never the word of God that brings this sense of malaise, grey, oppression, bleakness. I don't feel good about myself. I feel condemned. God's love, God's word never, ever does that. The Spirit convicts, and in my language, Satan is the one, the accuser of the brethren who would say, you don't need to feel good about this, you're condemned, you're written off, no one's really interested, no one really cares. There's grey, there's bleak, there's flat, That's all that's coming to you for what you've not done or what you've done. Such is not from the goodness and love of God. Certainly not read out from the law. The weeping and the sense of regret comes out of conviction of the Spirit that something's amiss, that something has gone wrong. Notice the immediate thing Nehemiah, the leader, says, Whoa! It's party time. Now, he doesn't do it quite like that. I'm being ridiculous to make a reverent point. Don't grieve. Don't feel mournful. Don't cry. Instead, the fatted calf, the feasting for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I've nothing against whales or this particular village or town in Wales, I may or may not mention, but after a particularly memorable time away in Wales, walking and enjoying ourselves in the hill, coming back down to the village, why on earth would you put a speed camera 30 miles an hour capped, going downhill, 33? I've been caught, convicted, These speed awareness courses are great to go on because of the humility and the penitential boredom you have to go through. There is a modicum of kind of redemption because you watch all the excuses that everyone else comes out with. But you've all been caught on the camera. The fact that it's going downhill where there's no one around from the hill, and you're only three miles out with the speed limit, is neither here nor there. You've broken the law. You're convicted. I can tell you the hill. I can tell you the town and Bangles dead to me. I'm never going back. <laughs> the conviction of the Spirit is a spotlight. It's that. It's not a cloud of grey that you're not worthy or worth it. The folly is if the spotlight's there, if the camera's caught you and the officer said it's 33 and it's not 30, pal, pay up or do the course, the folly is to ignore it. What happens is if you get it, respond, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Something happens because you're turning to him. 
Nehemiah chapter 8, what a great verse, probably one of the most misunderstood verses in the whole of Ezra's long sermon and scribe and law. It's not be joyful before the Lord. It's not try and work yourself up. It's not even joining in with other people who are like that. It's recognising that God in himself is ultimately good, loving and joyful. So it's in him, and because he's joyful and you're in him, it's his joy that will give you strength. It's not that 33 miles an hour and a 30 mile an hour doesn't matter. It's just that when Christ died and you could be cleansed and forgiven and every transgression of the law that you've done that might distance you from him has been sorted out and you come back to that in celebratory fellowship, you discover something that God actually is good. First book of the Bible. Eight-point sermon. Every day of creation after God makes something. It's good, it's good, it's good. It's eight points because the last one gets double time. It's very, very good. What's the logic? If he's made things that are good, he himself is good. There's only one person, there's only one set of circumstances that will make you feel you're no good, or not good enough, and it's the one I've referred to already, the one who accuses you, who blinds the minds of people who can't get it so that they don't realise how good God is. Words of Paul. Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they might not recognise the glory or the goodness of God. So it's not to go back to the language of Romans we get as many speeding tickets as we can to convince ourselves that we can be forgiven. Let us sin that grace may abound. That is not it at all. But unless you've discovered something of the fact that God cleanses you and loves you, even though you've not been all you should be for others or for him, then you will never ever discover how good and how brilliant and how wonderful God's love is. Nehemiah the leader says, have a feast, have a party. Jesus the Saviour who rose again in Luke chapter 15, every time someone comes back to Christ, God in heaven has a party. It doesn't make sense, does it? But God doesn't make sense either. He should just write us off. He should just forget it. I'm not letting Mark go out on the road again. He just messes up, not just in Wales. <laughs> I do a pretty mean reverse parking, let me tell you. Just, just one hand on the wheel, looking over my shoulder, it's in, just like that. Brilliant. God is good. The third thing we notice from Nehemiah chapter 8 is consolation for growth. As the chapter continues, uh, you'll see that the feasting and the joy uh, continued. So the more they realised, the more they experienced something of the goodness of God, the more that growth and development in Christ continues. 
to those, use the language of Romans again, for we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Where, where are you on this journey of allowing the word of God to be in you and dwell within you and bear fruit? Who is sharing this uh, with you? Are you convicted about something that you need to just, that's me, I'll sort it. But the only route out of that is goodness and love and more of God. As you might say, what's not to like? And are you prepared to continue in this way? Not just for yourself, but for others. It's been my experience, and I'm happy to bring Ali into the sermon as well, over 32 years of marriage and five children and umpteen different Christian communities, that the more you wag the finger and point things out to people, the more you make them feel not worthy and not good and uncomfortable, the more resistant they get to change. The more you affirm people, the more you love people, the more you create a sense of party, the more keen they are, not surprisingly, that they might continue in the way. Don't point the finger. Let the conviction fall on you. Be changed yourself and be a person of change for other people. Be someone like Nehemiah who can restore others, cheer them up, bless them up, forgive them and strengthen them because that's what God wants to do himself. Let me be still. I'm sure the Lord's been speaking this evening and in the stillness and quietness you could allow the spotlight to come or the area of ministry to re-engage with and pray earnestly as we've been speaking for the fruitfulness of God's word to be transformative in our own lives and day. Father, help us to identify those we're in partnership in ministry and life with our friends and co-workers. Help us to be those who walk in the light. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And help us, each one, to be people of resurrection and victory and confidence and hope for others in this desperately broken and fragile, fractured world. Forgive us for being in the limelight, or seeking it, or even avoiding it. But we pray that you, Lord Jesus, the light of the world, might indeed be the one who receives all the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.